This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. With the first jewel claim. Oh, it's a photo of the Derby. The race for the Triple Crown erupts into an epic party. The Preakness Stakes, May 18th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Which is a resilient bunch, you know. I've been talking about it all year. We're not trying to prove anybody wrong. We're just trying to prove ourselves right. We know what type of team we have, type of guys we have in the locker room. We're just going to keep proving it every single week and every week. And the numbers and the stats, power rankings, it don't matter. The only thing that matters was 7 and 2. A crazy game last night to wrap up a crazy Sunday, the craziest Sunday of the season. It's Mike Golick, Mike Florio, Mike along with Mike, PFT Live, week nine in the books. And Mike, you know, before we get started, when I was a kid, I hated fallback. I hated the switch back to standard time because it got dark so early after school and it limited to like 90 minutes the amount of time you actually had to go outside and play back when kids actually, you know, went outside and played. Now, as an adult who gets up at six-ish every day, I love it because I, like, needed a flashlight to come up to the studio. as a Friday. Now I could actually see. It's awesome, baby. Let me tell you, 25 years of morning radio, I loved the extra hour of sleep. Loved that extra in the beginning of that. So I dig it. But I'm with you. It gets dark late. But it had to be good for you, less time playing after school, because that would be less, <laughs> less chance of you going on IR with all the injuries that you keep listing every week when you're, when you're a kid and get hurt. So in the end, I think it kind of saved, saved you from uh, more heartache and more injury. That's a very that's a very good point. But the thing is, I still would go outside and it would be dark and I was more likely to fall down in the dark. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So it was better to have the light. And maybe there's some cosmic connection between the extra hour of sleep and what happened yesterday. We're all searching for explanations. And, you know, on one level, I love it when there's chaos on the other hand, I hate it because every week I pick games and I prefer to be right. And when you see so many of the expected outcomes get thrown into a blender yesterday, you feel like you don't know anything, Mike. 
Well, well, I completely agree. You know, in college, we all wish for chaos, you know, and I'm covering college, and the first college football rankings came out, and everybody wants some team to lose, to mess it all up. Why is Cincinnati so low? Michigan State's undefeated at three. Then they get beat, and we love the chaos. It happens every week in college. In In the NFL, we're kind of supposed to say, all right, first couple games, that's not really the team. By the midway point, you kind of know who your team is. Well, man, I mean, that, that got blown up yesterday. I mean, who is Dallas? You know, what happened? Who are the Buffalo Bills? What happened there? I mean, the, the, the Ravens, they were still sleeping from their bye. Now, at least they were able to come back. But you're right. It was a bit of a head scratcher at, at a time of season where you kind of think you know where you are, minus the injuries, because there's some mass units out there that we know of. You think you kind of know what team you have. And then we get a week up like this, a weekend like this that just blows up for everybody. I'm, I'm sure, including those that like to wager a little bit on games as well. I'm sure it may not have been an interesting weekend for them either. <laughs> well, especially when there were so many key players that weren't available, and in most cases it didn't matter. Like a Kyler Murray not available for right. the Cardinals, DeAndre Hopkins not available available for the Cardinals and they they go to San Francisco and hand the 49ers their eighth straight loss at home we'll be talking about that and every other development over the course of the day we should begin though with how it ended because one of the biggest surprises and it's it's hard to really rank them because there were so many but it definitely was a surprise last night that the Titans went into SoFi Stadium and handled the Rams without Derrick Henry because we all thought hey Derrick Henry's gone it's over it all falls apart he's the keystone to that team if you don't have that guy that's drawing all the attention from the defense and opening up the passing game the defense isn't going to be able to hold up the offense isn't going to be able to get it done and they're playing the Rams one of the best teams in football if not the best team in football who just got Von Miller even though he didn't play they had that aura they had that spark they they were going all in and just like Teddy KGB, who went all in, Rams lost last night. That, that, that was a real stunner to me, Mike. Well, it really was. But I, I think what you're starting to see, and I, and I know as, as we get into to this game, it did hurt the Titans' offense. They, had, they didn't have 200 yards offense. They had no offense. But their defense handed them things on a silver platter, one by scoring and the other by putting them, you know, deep in the red zone right by the goal line and scoring on one play. So what I I like to get takeaways from games. And as we get into this one and the different idiosyncrasies of the game, the one thing I'll say, and we've seen it over a few weeks in building, is this Tennessee defense, who I believe we all thought was a liability at the beginning of the season, and they were playing like that early on, and they were being carried by King Henry and what that offense was able to do. But that defense, over the last few weeks, has started to play better. Jeffrey Simmons is an absolute menace up front. Kevin Byard is incredible in the secondary. That pick he had yesterday, that was that was purely film study and game planning and knowing exactly where Stafford was going to go with the ball. Uh, holding this high-scoring Rams team to three field goals, and you can't win on field goals. Normally you can against lower-scoring teams, but you know Tennessee is averaging, I think, you know, in the, obviously in the upper 20s in points, but you need to get touchdowns, not field goals. So to me, last night, this was about the Tennessee Titans and a defense that's consistently been getting better and better. King Henry's not coming back. I I doubt he's going to be coming back. But if this defense 
can keep playing better and they can find more rhythm on offense because this was just their first game without Derrick Henry. We'll see where the running game goes. I know Adrian Peterson was in yesterday, didn't really do anything, but first game back, so we'll see where they can build that again. Not going to be what it was with Derrick Henry, but to me, Mike, the most impressive thing has been the this defense kind of coming along more and more. I love what Kevin Byard said after the game. He said, we're not out to prove people wrong about what they said. We're out to prove ourselves right because we know what we are as a defense, and they're really starting to attain that. Adrian Peterson did have the the Don Meredith turn out the lights touchdown, even though his numbers yeah, weren't fantastic, just 21 rushing yards on 10 attempts. Deontay Foreman and Jeremy McNichols both had more, but not much more. They spread it around and they didn't do much with it. But you're right about that defense. And Mike, we see this every year. Teams get better or teams get worse. They rarely stay the same as they are in September. And that defense has gotten better on the fly. And what we're seeing as we get deeper into the season is the product of good coaching because it's film study. It's picking up tendencies. You've talked in the past about the nuances of study, 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 study. By the time you get to this point of the season, some teams can crack the code on what other teams are doing. And the challenge for the team that's doing things well is don't get complacent. Always be testing yourself because there's a chance that next opponent is going to be the one that has figured you out. And it sure looked like the Titans, Mike, had figured out the Rams last night. Yeah, they absolutely did. I mean, again, holding them as they're driving to three field goals, a huge stop on downs with a little over six minutes to go in the game. And then, you you know, you have another team, though. What what helps on the other side of that, Mike, is when the other team kind of shoots themselves in the foot. The Rams come in as the least penalized team in the NFL, and they have, what, 12 for 100 and some yards last night? I mean, by the way, a horrible roughing the passer call on Aaron Donald. I mean, just ridiculous. Ridiculous on some of the things they call and or don't call. But they still had a ton of dumb penalties that just absolutely hurt them at times as well. And then you get, you know, Matthew Stafford making those decisions, you know, that that ridiculous, you know, spinning around, throwing the ball, you know, to just to think it's going to be a safety. And I know afterward, you know, the, the referee they had on the game saying it, it, in the booth, it probably would have been at the one-yard line because the ball was over the line. Well, Stafford didn't know that. He thought he was getting tackled in the end zone and thought it was going to be a safety. So he wasn't, he wasn't aware of that. He was just trying to get rid of the ball, and boy, what a mistake that was. By the way, that is his 24th, and not that one, but the Bayard one, was his 24th pick six, 24th in his career. That's the most of all active quarterbacks. So he's prone and has been to make these kind of mistakes where he throws the ball to the other team and it goes all the way. So that came up last night. The penalties came up last night. Not finishing drives came up last night, but that you really credit the Tennessee Titans for. So while I, while without question, I will stick with what I said, man, you study that film and it's a long season. It's a grind to stay in that pattern of show up early to lift, show up early to watch film, stay late to watch more film, maybe do more lifting. I mean, you get in a rhythm and you keep going and that's what you see better teams doing because they realize we have somewhere to go. That's where it starts falling apart for worse teams. All of a sudden, when they know they're out of it, they don't show up to lift in the morning. They don't maybe stay as late to watch as much film. And it kind of kind of steamrolls on them a little bit. Not all players, but some players. But the good teams, they continue to do what they need to do uh, to get the wins. And I think this ten, I can't say enough about this Titan defense just building over the year. Now let's see if they can hold it. 
all those little things that we don't know about that are so critical to the preparation for the three hours that we actually have access to seeing what the players do every week that they play. And, you know, it's the second straight game in which we saw the Titans defense put the opposing quarterback in a position to do something ridiculously stupid from his own end zone. The only difference between what we saw last night and the prior Sunday was Matthew Stafford didn't switch hands before throwing the ball. But it was the same yeah. idea, panic mode in the end zone, in theory trying to avoid a safety and ultimately coughing the ball up. But, but at some point it does become something where we need to credit the Titans for understanding where they have the offense and digging a little deeper and getting after the quarterback in that spot, finding a little stronger reservoir of will and intensity to create that moment. And that's what they do. I mean, when it's happened twice in two weeks, they get some credit for creating the moment and they did it and it worked and it, and it was huge in both games. Here's Mike Vrabel, the coach of the Titans on how the team has improved from week one when they were blown out and embarrassed at home by the Cardinals to where they are now eight games later. Success leads to confidence. You know, going out there and being able to view it, continue to improve, and that's, that's the message. You know, we're, we're, we're better now than what we were uh, to start the season. And, and that's the most important thing in the National Football League is that you find ways to continue to improve. I mean, you obviously have to find ways to win. But along the way, you got to find ways to get better. Because um, if you don't, you'll, you'll find yourself you know, on the outside looking in. Because there's a lot of teams that are going to continue to you know, improve, and we have to be one of those. If you purchased a ticket for Mike Vrabel, Coach of the Year, back in August, you probably got pretty good value, and you're probably feeling pretty good about that one right now. Because I'd say, Mike, based upon what we've seen, especially last night without Derrick Henry, if I had to start listing the favorites for Coach of the Year halfway through the season, Mike Vrabel's number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, blown off the first week. This is a team that lost to the Jets when you start looking at the, the, some of the, the bad losses out there and where they are now. Now they're not in the greatest division without question, but they're doing what they need to do. They need to take charge in that division, and that's what uh, they did. And I love what he said there about – Man, if you can improve through the years, we've always said you don't know what you are that first and second week, or you have an idea, but what do you grow to? And what the and then and then the curveballs you get thrown along the way, like they just got thrown a major one, a major you know drop, and with with uh, Derrick Henry being out, and not coming back. So okay, you have to adjust. That's the thing about it. You have to adjust on the fly. Usually, every team has to. And how do you do it? How do you adjust on the fly? Now, again, we saw last night. The offense really didn't. The offense was was really nothing last night, going for under 200 yards. But I but now it's going to be okay. There was our roadblock in the in the middle of the year. We lost our best player. Now how do we come out of that? And luckily, while that was going on, and even a little earlier, your defense started playing better and better and showing improvement. Vrabel's got to be being a defensive guy has to be just ecstatic at what he's seeing about that defense. So if that defense plays like that and what it's going to do again, it's going to keep you in every game uh, because this offense lost a lot. So how now does the offense be able to flip their switch on what direction they're going to go without Derrick Henry? And the Titans have now won five in a row since somehow losing to the Jets in week four. They have been underdogs, Mike, in each of the last four games. They beat the Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and Rams. They've got the Saints coming to town this weekend. 
Texans and then at the Patriots. That's a showdown that's looming on Thanksgiving yep. weekend. Uh, and then they have a very late bye. But but this team is hitting their stride. You look at the remaining schedule. There aren't – when you consider what they've accomplished the past four weeks, I look at the back half of this, Mike, and I don't see any – pulsating L's other than at Patriots, although the Patriots haven't done well at home this season. The Patriots seem to be moving in the right direction. There's almost uh, I could they run the table? Look at the back half. Well, I think they could run the table. Well, well, what I look at, Mike, is our team's playing for something. The Patriots find themselves just one loss behind the Bills right now, right? The Steelers in that AFC North, that is a competitive division. So, But for the 49ers, the, the, uh, you know, they're probably not going to be playing for anything. We saw the Texans down there, the Dolphins down there in the last two games. So it'll be interesting where they sit before those last two weeks because obviously they're going to wrap up the division. But they're gonna, then you're going to want to see where do we sit in the conference and what do we do those last two games. So, yeah, on that last few games there, I only saw a couple where teams are really fighting for something. And a lot of times, depending on the players and depending on the organization, sometimes those last few weeks for teams that aren't in it, like I've always said, they have U-Hauls hitched up to the cars, you know, and when that season's over, they're ready to go. So, Or you find a team that's not in it, and they can play that spoiler role. Like, that seems to be what the, you know, the Giants are, are going to be doing uh, the last part of the season as they're trying to get better and look to the future, maybe be a spoiler and not want, want to run into a team like that. Meanwhile, the L.A. Rams had every reason to be completely focused, to be ready to go. To, to prove to their head coach and their front office who had enough faith in them to make the all-in move for Vaughn Miller, even though he didn't play, it gives the team, I think, a surge of confidence in theory. Didn't work last night. When you consider that the Saints lost, Packers lost, Cowboys lost, and the Cardinals won, so they, they were compelled to hold serve to stay tied for first place right. in their division. They're already down a tiebreaker to the Cardinals because the Cardinals had been responsible for the Rams' only loss. To come out the way they did and look the way they did and play the way they did, Sean McVay, coach of the team, here he is after the game, taking the blame for what happened to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, I didn't do nearly a good enough job for our football team tonight. We were uncharacteristic with the penalties, the turnovers, but I really think, you know, the defense started off. They were giving us a chance. It was a good inter big-time interception by Jalen. And then ultimately, really, just the momentum and the flow of the game. I didn't do nearly a good enough job of helping our players establish that, particularly on offense. Um, you go back, you look at yourself critically, and we get these things corrected. But, um, you know, that's all I know how to do. That's what we'll do. I trust the character of this locker room to be able to respond the right way. But uh, not nearly good enough, and it starts with me. You know, you go back and you say, all right, we're not going to allow one game to define us. I don't think that's reflective of the type of football team we are. Um, we had a rough night, and it really seemed like kind of that was kind of the narrative for the night. You know, really it was, um, you know, a lot of those things that occurred that are uncharacteristic. And uh, I choose to believe that tonight was not the reflection of who we are. We can look at it, we'll correct it, and we'll keep it moving. I got to give Sean McVay credit, Mike. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter win, no matter lose, his caffeine tank is always full. <laughs> oh, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. He is a high-energy guy. I'd imagine around that building it's got to be real high energy. But listen, his defense, they, they weren't awful at, by, by any stretch of the imagination. Holding Tennessee under 200 yards, the defense gives up 21 – or the Rams give up 21 points a game. 
Well, that's really what the defense gave up, right? Because Tennessee had a pick six and also put the Rams' defense in a hole, giving them the ball like at the one or two-yard line after the other interception. So by those standards, they didn't do bad statistically. Then they had some penalties that hurt them, again, even though that Aaron Donald penalty was ridiculous. So they did put themselves in a bad position. To me, it was that offense. That offense couldn't get anything going. That offense goes out on downs. It was six minutes to go. Again, credit to Tennessee. That offense is kicking field goals instead of getting touchdown, three field goals. And think of if, if, if trying to get in the end zone there uh, instead to make this a more competitive game. They couldn't do it on the offensive side of the ball. And that, that's Sean McVay's side. That, that's that's where, you know, that's where he does his magic. Cooper Cup uh, became the first player this season to have more than 1,000 receiving <laughs> yards. It's not something that you really celebrate after a win like that or a loss like that, excuse me, but only the second player in the Super Bowl era, Mike, to have 1,000 receiving yards and 10 or more receiving touchdowns in the first nine games. The only other person to do that was Jerry Rice in 1990. So, you know, portions of the offense are still working, but the problem last night was too many breakdowns in the offensive line. The, the Titans pass rush was too good. Five sacks of Matthew Stafford. He was banged up. I, I was surprised he was in the game in garbage time after he had that ankle injury and they had to retape it. And he came into the game with a back injury. I don't know what they were trying to do there. I don't know if it was stat padding. I don't know if it was trying to recover some sense of confidence after things fell apart. I'd have gotten him the hell out of there. Yeah, you know that that's the thing about about and you see him rolling around on, on the on the ground at times too, uh, limping around. It it is interesting, Mike, in how different it is in college in the NFL. The NFL guys just stay in, win or loss. Rarely, rarely do you see. Sometimes you see it, but not a lot do you see guys come out. Uh, they're they're in it for the long haul and they stay in. So that doesn't surprise me as much, but I certainly understand what you're saying because, God forbid, you get someone hurt, they get a garbage touchdown with 24 seconds to go. Again, they're out of it because, you know, that Tennessee defense and it's holding them to field goals instead of getting touchdowns. But that rush of Tennessee, you said it, five sacks. I mean, when you say five sacks, you have to understand it's usually double to triple the times you're actually getting to the quarterback and hitting the quarterback or harassing the quarterback. Uh, it's not just five times you get there for sacks. They were on him all night. That D-line again, and Jeffrey Simmons had three of those five sacks and should, could have had that one again if Stafford doesn't do the you know, the twirling world dervish thing and throw the ball and get it picked off, that would have been another sack there. So what they did to that O-line, you said it, the O-line and breakdown, there was last night. They were just getting there, – there are games when you line up, Mike, and you go into film the next day and you watch it where you can get beat, but you can get physically beat. And, man, in a, in a testosterone-filled game where it's mano a mano a lot of times, if you get physically dominated, that, that's something tough to take that next day when you sit in that meeting room and have to watch it all over again. Yeah, and that's part of what the Rams are going to have to regroup from after that loss. So the Rams fall to 7-2. and two. The Titans climb to 7-2 and, two, and uh, two teams that feel like they're moving in different directions. But we saw the Rams recover from their other loss of the season. They'll figure yeah. it out. They're going to be there at the end of the day. The question, though, is, Mike, you know, do you get the one seed? Do you even win your division? Do you have to go on the road and do it the hard way? Now, it didn't hurt the Buccaneers last year, but it's always better in the postseason to have home games. But maybe it isn't. Home teams are now 65-70 and 70 this year. And when you factor in the reality that three of those games were neutral site and the home team won each of them, true home teams are 62-70 and 70 this year. It is unbelievable that even with the fans back, 
The fans are back and the noise is a factor. The road teams are getting it done. But I'll, I'll, I'll quickly say this. That's September, October, the beginning of November. What these teams are looking for and all teams are looking for is if that road has to go through Green Bay in January. Do the Rams want to go to Green Bay? Do the Cardinals want to go to Green Bay? You know, where do you, you know, Buffalo. Can they, can they, who's going to have it in the AFC? That's when it matters more, when all of a sudden those elements come into play and you need certain parts of your team to be playing well at that time of year. So while I'm with you, that stat is like, okay, home field isn't doing a whole lot. There's a huge difference of cold weather and warm weather cities come, come playoff time in January when it could really matter. And speaking of the Green Bay Packers, who would have been in great position yesterday if they had beaten the Chiefs, given the fact that the Cowboys lost and the Saints lost and the Rams lost, the Packers lost 13-7. to That feels like the score midway through the first quarter <laughs> of the game that we expected to see. Instead, that's the final score. The Chiefs get it done. Here's Patrick Mahomes feeling good after the Chiefs get a victory that pushes them above 500. Yeah, I mean, it was a battle all day long. Uh, I mean, we we felt like we had good plays and that we were moving the ball and we'd stall out. And it kind of it kind of all day it felt like that. And then at the end of the day, uh, when we had a chance to to go down there and really win it, um, after the defense had played a great game. Um, guys stepped up and made plays, and I kind of let that out of like that frustration. We made, we made it happen, and I mean, I'd rather be walking away with the win than a lot of yards. So I'm glad we got the win. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like we're close. I mean, I, I, I'm saying you can see drives here and there where we're we're the we're that team that everybody knows and loves. Um, but um, you got to be able to consistently do that throughout every single drive in the game. Um, and I mean, it hasn't been any different defenses than what we saw at the beginning of the year. We're just not executing at a higher level. Um, so, uh, I mean, we're just going to continue to go to work, practice, go through the process. Luckily enough, our defense is playing really good football and keeping us in these games, and then we're making plays at the end of the game to win them. Normally, though, though, if you hear uh, the Chiefs score 13 points, you assume they lose. They, <laughs> their defense stepped up and held the Packers to seven, and the Chiefs needed that. They have a trip to the Raiders, Sunday night football coming up, and then the Cowboys at home before their their Thanksgiving bye week, but but you know the Chiefs really needed this, and it wasn't as easy as maybe we thought it was going to be because of the I don't know what that was, and it and it uh, I I don't know what it was that, that we have this PFT bingo, and I don't know what I said that justified PFT bingo, but apparently there's some new square on. Oh, it was an accident. It was an accident. That's what it was. Uh, anyway, Mike, uh, Chiefs needed it. Chiefs got it, but the work is far from over because this team still has a long way to go to convincing us that they're the team they used to be. Oh, without question. But what Patrick Mahomes said is correct, is I'll I'll take an an ugly win over a ton of yards on offense. As I continue to say, this isn't college football. This isn't a 13-person committee who's going to look at Cincinnati barely pulling it out over Tulsa and say, see, we're justified and keep them out of the top four. Uh, We don't think they're one of the the top four teams. The NFL doesn't matter. Just win, baby. That's it. And now that division, maybe not the greatest division, but it's competitive right now, right? Two teams with three losses, two teams with four losses. So, you really don't know what the hell is going to happen in that division. Sometimes those teams look good. Sometimes they don't. So eking out a 13-7 win, that's all you do. You scrap for it. You work. You put so much effort into each game, Mike, and sometimes it's not the prettiest thing in the world, and this chief offense is nowhere near what we've seen them. But just get the win. 
That's it. And they needed their defense to step up a little more. And they did, holding them to seven, holding what I think the, the Giants to, to 17 uh, last week. So they need that side of the ball, which has been an awful boat, really both sides of the ball. Offense not scoring like they did in defense, just giving up a ton of yards uh, and, and critical plays. But They've stepping up now when they should. How do you play? November's a big month. November is a big month to see where you're starting to position yourself in quarters of the season the way that you do it. And as we're just getting to that halfway point and over now, how are teams going to position themselves and how do they play? I know the chief players keep thinking we're going to pull ourselves out of this thing somehow, some way. I don't know if they will. I, to, to think they're going to get back to what that offense was on a consistent level seems hard to believe this year. But – their point is, I'm sure, if we can pull it out every now and then and do it and scrape by these other victories over a Green Bay team that doesn't have Aaron Rodgers, so they probably should get the win in this one, that's what they want to accomplish. And they have a great opportunity on Sunday Night Football when they face the Raiders in Las Vegas. And it was a horrible weekend for the Raiders. They lost and every other team in the division won. It is all bunched up now. Raiders 5-3, and three, Chargers 5-3, and three, Chiefs and Broncos 5-4. and four. It is all tightening up now in the in the nfc north at least the packers don't have to worry about any of the other teams that they're dealing with right. the vikings lost again the bears quite possibly will lose again tonight i haven't checked on the lions even on their bye week there's a chance they lost but the packers <laughs> aren't aiming to win the division the packers are aiming to be the one seed and drive the playoffs again through green bay and lambeau field and the elements as you said earlier mike they didn't get it done. Here's Matt LaFleur, coach of the team, that that had to ride with Jordan Love instead of Aaron Rodgers, but still had a chance to win. Here's LaFleur taking the blame for his team failing to pull it off. This one falls on me squarely. I, certainly for us to be whatever we were, two for 12 on third down, um, obviously didn't have a good enough plan for some of the zero pressures that they, they brought on us, but I thought our guys battled. I thought Jordan, I, I was really proud of the way he played. He, he hung in there. He was taking hits um, and delivering the ball, and I thought he did a, a really good job. But I think that ultimately I've got to be better, and, and this one falls squarely on me. Hey, Mike. You know, I, I thought of something while LaFleur was explaining that and taking the blame for it, and that's good. Hey, when, when you know, you're ridiculously successful and you have a periodic loss, I guess you can take the full blame for it because it's not like you're going to be on the hot seat after losing that. I think right. he's 33 and and uh, 8 now. But um, anyway, with, uh, with the Packers, the idea that Aaron Rodgers and everything that occurred last week from Wednesday to Thursday to Friday with the 45-minute diatribe. You talked earlier about the importance of your routine, your importance of getting your lifts in, getting your film study in. How much do you think of a distraction, everything that happened with Aaron Rodgers was last week for guys who were trying to go about their routine as they went from Wednesday into Sunday to play that game? Well, well, defensively, hopefully none, because it doesn't affect your side of the ball other than you know you got to play – play great anyway or play better than you have and they did hold the Chiefs you know to 13 points so from the defensive side of the ball um often it's all about Mike it's all about preparation and this is professional football every individual player is 
is responsible for preparing themselves. But there's no doubt about it when all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers isn't there. Aaron Rodgers runs that offense, you know, and now you have a guy in, in love who steps in and, you know, he's not just going to take over that offense and, and, and everybody says, oh, yeah, it's his offense. Now, that's, that's the thought they're going to give him and the leeway they're going to give him. But, yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. So things definitely change without question what normally happens with Aaron Rodgers and when a backup quarterback comes in makes it more difficult. So from the offensive side and the preparation side. Now, as you prepare individually, if you're an old lineman, how you're preparing to play against that D-line and individual defensive players, that shouldn't change. But – Overall, it's definitely going to change and going to have an effect because you know you're going to get something different. So, right, you, you, you say, man, you blitz Aaron Rodgers, you're in a lot of trouble. He's, he's going to destroy you. Well, what do you do against a young quarterback who hasn't had a lot of experience? There's two things you can do against him. You can play back and play a lot of zone and try and confuse him on where he's going to go with the ball. Or you can just say, young man, we are going to come after you and you better decide very quickly what you want to do with the ball. And that's the route that they went last night. Uh, the, the, they just absolutely, he was blitzed and blitzed and pressured all night long to have to make a quick decision and get rid of the ball. And that, again, that's what you do to young quarterbacks. So that really is the biggest change for this offense. Things you normally and expect out of Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, now you're not going to get it. So there's a little more trepidation on that side of the ball of we're not really sure what we're going to get from this guy. And if things start to go bad and unravel a little bit, it's tough to kind of collect it after that. And Jordan Love was not horrible last night. He wasn't. The outcome wasn't what the Packers wanted, obviously. And there is a difference between him and Aaron Rodgers. How could there not be? This was the first start of Jordan Love's career. And he's the one guy that I have always felt sorry for in this entire melodrama that's played out between the Packers and Rodgers because Love is the only one who did not ask to be caught in the middle of it. He was drafted into it. And I'm sure if he would have had his choice, he would have said, no, thanks. No, thanks. Yeah. I don't want to go to Green Bay. But, you know, I, Drew Brees made a great point last night, and you saw it on that throw right there if you were watching closely. The presence of Aaron Rodgers, and this is this is the point Drew made, the stuff that Aaron Rodgers gets away with, throwing off his back foot, doing things that aren't fundamentally sound, his backup quarterbacks pick up those habits. And it's almost like the presence of Rodgers is going to make it harder for love to learn how to play quarterback because you're not going to get away with playing quarterback the way Rodgers does. You've got to unlearn everything that you've seen watching Rodgers and go back to being a fundamentally sound quarterback, and that's going to be part of the transition that happens if it ever happens, when it ever happens, from Rodgers to love. No, I, I, I get what you and I understand what Drew's saying because that's the guy you're watching every day in practice and you're watching a Hall of Famer, so you're saying why not try and pick up some of the things that he does. But what the players are doing on this team, Mike, is they're looking at the now. They know the last two years they were 13-3 and three and had a chance to make a run, and they also know if Aaron Rodgers isn't out there, it's not happening. It's just not. So you want to worry about the, the, the maturation of a Jordan Love? Well, they sure as hell don't worry. want to worry about that this year, and they're, hopefully it's going to be a one-and-done scenario for them because they're not go this is a team that's ready to go somewhere, and it's not happening with a backup quarterback. Well, and they, they may have, should have, will have. Will is too strong right now because we don't know whether or not Aaron Rodgers will definitely be cleared. The earliest he can be back is Saturday. Matt LaFleur said – 
that if Rodgers is back, he will start on Sunday, even if he misses the full week of practice, and that makes sense. That's how good Rodgers is as a player. But it was a long week for Aaron Rodgers from a PR standpoint. There's no need to rehash everything that occurred. We all know it by now. If you're watching this show, you know it. We've got plenty of stories at PFT. He gave us content that carried us through the whole weekend with the 45 minutes on Pat McAfee's show on Friday. But you know what, Mike? I I really do wonder what Aaron Rodgers is thinking right now because it's one thing for guys like me to call him out, to criticize him, to poke through his word salad, to hold him accountable, because he can brush me off as a nobody. But, man, I don't know if you saw the clip of the four Hall of Famers on Fox's desk yesterday going after him. When when your peers, when when the people who have the bronze bust – where yours is eventually going to be, and now Rodgers may say, can you put mine on the other side of the room? They went after him for everything that the rest of us went after him for. I, I just, yeah. I, I'd love to know what he's really thinking now, and maybe we'll have another 45 minutes from him on Tuesday on Pat McAfee's show and find out. I, you know, I, I, I don't, in all honesty, I think, I think, you know, listen, Aaron Rodgers isn't the first, you know, arrogant attitude quarterback that we have or, or player or professional athlete, right? I mean, we, we see that a lot. And he has a, a lot of confidence in what he does and what he says. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. So I don't know if it's going to affect him. Uh, it, 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 would, it will be interesting, though, because I really haven't heard many former players, you know, at all. They understand the side of it's your choice whether you want to get vaccinated or not but then in in, in my, my two words of it were his words they were slippery he was slippery and smug he's slippery with his words and he was smug with his attitude is, is what he was and I guess my overriding thing on that is two things one you know everybody got on Cole Beasley at the beginning of the year when he took his stance but you know what he did Cole Beasley took his stance Cole Beasley said what he said and stood behind it you know, and I think that's one of the things that that bothered people. And again, Aaron probably doesn't give a damn what we think, but but no, as he does. we listen oh, to it, and oh, this is oh, yeah, yeah you're does. right. You know what? You're you're right. You are right. He he does seem sensitive to what people think. So I stand corrected. You are right about that. But like I said, Cole, you may not agree with it, but dude stood up for what he believed, and and Aaron tried to kind of meander, as I said, slippery. It was slippery with his words. So and again, no sense in rehashing all of it. To me. Uh, that is part of it, and that, that's an intangible of what he thinks everybody will think of him. The tangible is what's going to happen now because of who was complicit. You know, did Green Bay know and not do anything because they didn't want to tick hit this guy any, off anymore who was already kind of mad at them? Was the league, did they know if he wasn't following, you know, with the media in the line of, well, I think it's a dumb rule. Well, great. There's a lot of dumb rules out there that I think are as well. But you know what? You're still, you, you can try and fight them all you want. Uh, but, but at some point you have to follow them. So that's my thought. What happens next between with the Packers and with the league if he was in fact breaking protocols and nothing was done and Mike the biggest flaw of the many flaws that he uttered on Friday arguably was his position that he didn't agree to these rules he didn't sign anything look he knows how a union works he was the union rep the union agrees on behalf of the workforce so you have a very simple choice very simple choice comply with the rules or don't and face the consequences if you don't. And ultimately, if you refuse to comply with the rules to a certain point where you you are going to resist, then just retire. 
don't show up if you don't want to follow the rules. He tried to carve out a way to have it both ways. And I firmly believe, Mike, and I think we've invoked Occam's razor here in the not-too-distant past. The simplest explanation is this. He did not want to be criticized for not being vaccinated. So he lied about not being vaccinated. He behaved as if he was vaccinated when in the public eye. In the building, maybe he wore his mask everywhere that he was supposed to, except in the media room when he would be in the public eye. And his reasoning is, well, it's stupid. The science doesn't back it up. doesn't matter. Your unions agreed to that rule. So if you don't follow that rule, then you should get punished. And that's where we are now. The NFL, which was asleep at the switch, frankly, we all saw that he wasn't wearing a mask at press conferences, but we assumed he was vaccinated because of what he said on August 26th. The league knew the truth. The league saw him doing these press conferences unvaccinated. The league did jack diddly squat and relied on the Packers, who already have a tenuous and frayed relationship with Aaron Rodgers, to antagonize him even more. That's what's so stupid about this entire construct. Are you kidding me? The team has to chase the guy around and say, wear your mask or else, wear your mask or else, when they're already worried about him getting up and going home with his helmet and his football? That's asinine. So now, here's where it stands, Mike. The league's looking into the number of past violations. The league could fine Aaron Rodgers, fine the Packers. No suspension for Rodgers. No loss of draft picks for the Packers. Because even though the policy says repeat violations could result in a suspension of a player, the league doesn't view it as a repeat violation, even if it's multiple violations, technically repeated violations. In the league's eyes, it's only a repeat violation if you've been punished for it and told not to do it again. Then after that is when the discipline graduates, which is an acknowledgement of the fact that they were asleep at the switch because he got away with it all those times. He's going to get punished for all those times. It's never going to be treated as a repeat violation unless he does it again when he comes back. You know, there, there is something that goes on within teams and I think certainly within the league that no team will want to admit or a league will want to admit there's a hierarchy. There just is. There, there just is. And you know who knows it the most is players. Players in a locker room know exactly where they stand and know exactly what will happen to me if that, if that situation happened and what would happen to the star quarterback if that situation happened. They're just different within teams. And, again, how much did the league know? How, how, how complicit are they? That, that I don't know. That, you know, you and, and others who dig inside the league, you know, can find that out. Or at some point, maybe they'll say. But – There is a hierarchy, and sometimes that hierarchy is behind the scenes of we're not going to do things until maybe you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar. And who got caught with a hand in their cookie jar in this one? Was it the Packers? Was it the league? Was it one or the other? Was it both who did? So now all of a sudden you have all kind of egg on your face, and how do you come out of this one? Because it started with Aaron Rodgers, you know, being, you know, the way he was. Again, I'll use the word slippery with his words. So we all thought one thing, but there was another thing there, and it's we all know he did everything behind the scenes, outside of the public eye, how he was supposed to do it. But as I said, what happens now? And you just laid out some of the things that can happen. And that will be the interesting thing in this investigation is what comes of it. Because there are other players, while most players are vaccinated, there are others who aren't and others. And there are probably a lot of people who don't think all the rules are very smart or good rules. But again, the union agreed to them. 
And that's always been another thing, and not just with Aaron in this situation, but in other union-related issues where all of a sudden high-profile players come out and complain about what the union is doing. And my thought has always been, and this is, again, something that you, I'd have to find out first, are those players talking to the union first? Did Aaron Rodgers talk to J.C. Treader, the president of the Players Association, or DeMora Smith when all this was getting worked out and put his, have his input? Maybe he did. I don't know that. But a lot of times what happens is you just criticize after the fact when you are such a big part of it that you could be involved in it earlier and maybe you won't change what's going on, but at least be involved. And again, I don't know if he was or he wasn't. I hope he was because you want your high-profile players involved in the union and some of the decisions and ways that they want to go, not just to be critical of what they agreed to after the fact. He did say during that August 25 press conference, he had spoken to J.C. J.C. Treader is the union president, a former Packers teammate. But but again, and and that's the one vibe that that hasn't come out of this. And I think it's one of the reasons why the union hasn't engaged him. He has yet to blame the union publicly for these rules. Others have. Cole Beasley did. And the other reason the union hasn't engaged him, Mike, is very simple. The union does not want players with big platforms spouting anti-vaccine rhetoric because there may be somebody somewhere, and I don't know how many people fall into this category at this point, but there may be somebody somewhere who's not decided. And hearing from Aaron Rodgers could be the thing that allows them to say, I didn't get it, and I'm not getting it, and I'm glad I'm not getting it. So the union has been very reluctant to push and to fight with members who are against the vaccination it's not a mandate, but the way they've set it up. Marin's right. They set it up in a way to create many incentives for the players to get vaccinated and incentives for oh, the team to get rid of yes. players who aren't vaccinated. He's right about that. But again, yes. those are the rules. Simple choice. Simple choice. You don't want to get vaccinated. That's your business. You have the right to not get vaccinated. But yes, they've created the rules in a way that makes it harder for you to be unvaccinated, much harder to be unvaccinated than to be vaccinated. Yeah, it, it makes you have to make that choice. It's exact, yeah, some of the things Aaron said, he, he was spot on w- without question uh, about how some of the rules are. And, and I look at some of them and just kind of shake my head and say, okay, you know, that's like wearing the big A, you know, on, on, on your shirt, you know. That, that, that's what they're doing out there. And, and you kind of scratch your head at times and maybe don't want to agree with it. But like I said, I'm, I'm glad at least there was the conversation there. And sometimes a conversation can only go so far. But now the important things here, what tangible is going to happen, if anything, to the Packers or Aaron Rodgers with fines and such, as you mentioned, no suspension or anything. And then how soon will, will he be able to be back this week? Because uh, as far as football is concerned, the Green Bay Packers need Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback to go as far as they can go. The next flashpoint, Mike, is when it's time for him to do a press conference in the building. Will he wear a mask? Will he refuse to do the press conference? Where is that going to go from here? And on the broader radar screen of possibilities, this is just a tiny blip that is out on the edge. I still think there's a chance, small as it may be, there's a chance that between all the stuff he's dealt with with the Packers, the things that caused him to be a 50-50 proposition on retirement before training camp opened, the hassle that he's feeling now from the league, if they send him a letter saying, here's your fine, whether it's 15000 or 15 times 15000 for all of his violations, whatever it is, plus a warning that if you continue to do this, you will be suspended. What if he welcomes and embraces the victim role to the 
extreme and says, I'm done. I'm out. See you later. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think that we need to on this big ass radar screen. Pardon me. Sorry. Sorry, London. Out on the edge. It's blipping very faintly, but based on what he did on Friday and based on what he's going to be doing going forward and the mandates he's going to get from the NFL, thou shalt comply. And he quotes MLK when he shouldn't have. If he really believed everything he said Friday, I guess that's my point. If he believed everything he said Friday, the battle lines may be drawn. And one of the outcomes very well may be Aaron Rodgers says, have fun with Jordan Love, NFL. Have fun without me. I'm done. I'm out. See you later. Listen, I, I know we got to go to break here and we're going long, but I, I get what you're saying. I don't think there is any way. Just like when there was the whispers in the offseason, maybe he retire, I said there is no shot he retires. And in this case, while that would be an option, I don't think there is any way that Aaron Rodgers uh, retires. Uh, a tiny blip could be, but I think he'll be in uniform the rest of the year for the Packers. Well, and he'll be wearing a mask if he's in that press room or else uh, when he comes back. Let's take a break. Uh, much overdue. They've they've politely been telling us break next, break next. We, we've heard you. We just have chosen to keep talking. It's our choice. Let's take a break, except when they pull the plug on us. Cowboys and Bills, what the hell happened to them yesterday? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this! How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. Pick me! And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. Well, I mean, first, I might have to give, to give Denver you know, credit for, you know, they came in there, they had tremendous adversity that they faced coming into this game. Um, had concern Wednesday, you know, as far as, you know, the way we've come off some successful weeks and, um, you know, the message was don't take the cheese. And, and frankly, we were outcoached, we were outplayed uh, all the way through. So uh, this is the first time I felt clearly our energy did, didn't exceed our opponent, and, and, and that's and that's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, definitely shocked. Uh, as I said, they whooped us on every aspect. They they beat us, and um, that that's not something you ever you ever think about or ever envision happening. 
um, but something we'll learn from. We'll learn from um, every every aspect of it, offense, defense, special teams, situationally especially, and uh, we've just got to be better. We've got to play a cleaner game. We've got to start faster in a noon game like this, and they, they did a better job at it and got on us and got on us fast, and, uh, yeah, we were playing from behind, and we weren't able to, 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 to do anything. Classic example in Dallas yesterday of what happens when a team starts feeling pretty good about itself and thinking that the opponent that is limping into town isn't very good. This is one of those moments where you need Bill Parcells to be constantly on their his players all week long because those Cowboys players weren't ready to play. They thought they were just going to show up and win. They stole a game Sunday night without Dak Prescott. Hey, Dak's back. We're good. Just listen to everybody on TV and radio and read the newspapers if there are any newspapers. Everybody thinks we're great. The Broncos are lost. They gave up their best player. This is a preseason game for us. This is nothing. We're going to be lounging on the sideline eating hot dogs by the middle of the third quarter. And it was 30 to nothing before the Cowboys actually scored any points, Mike. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is one of those where you get tested a little bit to find out at least in that week, and will it have any ramifications going forward, of what happens when you start from behind the eight ball. You know, you look at a couple of teams. I just look at it with Baltimore and Minnesota. Baltimore coming off the bye looked like they were still asleep, but they fought and came back. And that's what you kept waiting to see out of the Cowboys. As Denver started to pull away, you're like, all right, well, the Cowboys are a better team. They're going to start to score. You know, they average 30 points a game. You know, they're going to start to do it, and and they didn't. So, first of all, again, credit Denver and that defense. By the way, as we mentioned, without Von Miller, but when he left, the numbered sack leader at that point became Malik Reed. He was inactive for the game, didn't even play. Their old line got obliterated in this game, Denver's, with injuries. So, they were one of those mash units out there, yet they just keep – kept rolling it up on the Cowboys. And to me, that was the interesting thing, is the Cowboys, who – overall are a better team than Denver could not stop it and turn it around. And sometimes it happens, but a lot of times we see the better teams able to collect themselves, catch themselves, make whatever adjustments they need to make and come back. But you didn't get it. You have a quarterback, you know, who gets uh, balls dropped on him. You have a quarterback who overthrows players. You have a quarterback who doesn't get a running game going on one of the better running attacks in the in the uh, game of football right now. So all those things add up, and who who kind of collects it? That, that's when you start looking around, Mike. You start looking around and say, who's going to be that guy? And everybody will look at Dak, you know, who missed the last game and came back and say, that's our leader, so let's start making plays. But then you got to make plays around him. you got to catch the ball. But, again, as I said, you see overthrows. Or you see a normally great rushing team getting stoned and not getting any, any good runs at all. Uh, so – it, it that to me is what I looked for in that game is who's going to be kind of the catalyst and it never really happened and first and foremost credit Denver because again they're they're in that division where just one loss is separating you know two teams with three losses two teams with four so you never know where it's going to go and how about that game you Drew Lock we find out before with the COVID protocols he's out and and Teddy Bridgewater couldn't even do his normal war, uh, pregame warm up because there was an error with his test. So, I mean, there were so many things stacked against Denver in this one, yet sometimes that's that's when you circle the wagons the most and come out and have a good game. Season low in 
.16 for the Cowboys, yards 290. They had been on a tear, especially offensively. There was so much talk over the course of the past week about how they were a Super Bowl contender in the NFC. They haven't been to an NFC championship game since 1995. The way they played yesterday, they won't be back again this year. The question now becomes, how do they rebound from this? They have the Falcons coming to town. Sneaky good Falcons, who are now 4-4, four and four, a team that we didn't expect to be very good. And then after that, five days apart at the Chiefs and at home against the Raiders on Thanksgiving. So the Cowboys have some big games coming up if they want to continue to hold where they are. Now, now they're still locked in as the four seed. That's the good news. There's no way they're going to blow that division. And as I say that, I'm thinking, watch, now they're going to blow the division. It would be a stunner <laughs> if they blow that division. Let me Let me – revise that briefly the question though as of last Monday was can they get number three number two can they maybe get number one in the NFC now after yesterday we're like okay force fine they get a home game in the wild card round it'll probably be that Monday night game on ABC and ESPN and and with the Mannings present it'll be a high profile big ratings game they'll have the five seed come to them the Cardinals or the Rams or maybe the Saints Big game. Maybe they win, then they have to go on the road and play a, a much better team. And and look, they can still that they're capable of so much more than what they did yesterday. When you put it on coaching, and I put it on coaching, I think the coaching let them down, let them get complacent. They are better than what they were yesterday. And now the challenge for the coaches this week, Mike, is to get them to understand they're better than what they were yesterday, and they better get themselves back to it quickly. So a, a couple things there is is. I have belief that they'll still be, I think, close to, if not what we've seen of them. Because one of the biggest differences, you have a team like Kansas City, who this entire year, Mike, has not looked like the team we've seen in the Super Bowl the last two years. And we keep scratching our head wondering and, and saying, can they regain that? And they're not going to regain it on a consistent level, I don't think. Maybe we'll see bits and pieces of it. The Dallas Cowboys, we've seen them be great this year. We have seen them with a high-octane offense and a defense that was better than last year, though that's not saying a whole lot. But they are. They are a, a much better defense this year. Micah Parsons, uh, what he's doing has been incredible. So we've seen it out of them this year. So I am way more willing to say this is a blip on their radar and they'll revert back to more of what they were consistently through most of the season as opposed to what we saw on Sunday. So that's number one. And number two, listen, I get it with the coaching, you know, that the coach is responsible for the, the game plan and motivating things. I, as a former player, Mike, I only take that so far. You are a professional athlete. You have some veterans leadership on that team. I, if, if I need the coach to motivate me and to make me not be complacent, and we as a team, especially veterans on that team, can't see that for ourselves. Now, I agree that could work in tandem and the coach can remind you and, and help you along there. But I still put a lot of that on the players. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You got a lot of, you know, 30 and up year old veterans in that room and high 20 guys who have been around for a while that understand the league and understand what they're supposed to be doing. So while I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to put some on the coaches. I am also one of those guys that players need to look in the mirror as well and say, what did I do differently or what did we not do as players that we need to do better? I would just love to know, looking back at the week that was, whether the warning signs were there 
that the Cowboys were becoming complacent, that they were letting their heads get too big, and whether the people in position to realize it and correct it, whether it was team leaders, whether it's the players themselves, whether it's the coaches, when was the moment that that they were setting themselves up for what happened? Because I have a feeling it didn't just happen yesterday. The seeds were planted. As we discussed earlier, it's your routine, it's your rhythm, it's doing everything you're supposed to do. Did they do everything they were supposed to do last week in the aftermath of stealing a game in Minnesota without Dak Prescott? That, that's what I would love to know, and the only people who know that are the ones who are behind the curtain. we got to give the Broncos some credit here before we move on to the next game, though. Yes. They're above 500, which has not happened for them very often since they won Super Bowl 50 six years ago. They have a chance to get to 6-4 and four if they beat the Eagles at home on Sunday. Then they have a bye. But my goodness, down the stretch, they have five of their division games lurking. So if they're going to win that division, they got every opportunity to do it. Five games against division rivals after their bye when they come back in late November and face the Chargers at home. And you know, you talk about tough places to play. Denver, is, as the weather turns, depending upon which day you get, one day it'll be 70 and one day it'll be 7. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that, could, that could be an advantage for the Broncos down the stretch. And after what they did yesterday, they've shown they're capable. The question is, how consistent can they be? But it's too early to write them off too, Mike. Yeah, and, and two quick things on that. I was just in Colorado covering Oregon State at Colorado, and it was 72 degrees in November. So, it is beautiful there, but you're right. It could just as easily have been seven with two feet of snow. And the other thing I'll say is, who, who, do you, who do you trust in this division right now, Mike? Who do you trust? I mean, Kansas City, we all thought was the best team coming in, but they've been anything but themselves that we've seen in the last two years. You trust in the Raiders? You trust in the Chargers? I mean, so in all honesty, when you look at that division, can you point to a team and say, oh, yeah, I believe that team's going to be – incredibly consistent the last half of this year. I don't know if you can point to a team in that division that you can say that about. So it truly could be an up for grabs division. I feel like the Chiefs are the one that I trust just because of recent history and they still have so many of the same people. And if they just keep groping with their right foot, they're eventually going to hit the gas pedal. And and they're going to wake up one day and they're (laughs) going to look at the standings and say, everything's set up for us to win this division and get back to the playoffs, and they could be very dangerous in the postseason if they figure out what it is that has held them back this year. At some point, they just are who they are. But I I think that they're the ones that I would trust if they're all bunched together like this because we know from not too far in the past what they're capable of doing. The Bills were a team that we thought were on their way to something special, on their way to maybe the number one seed. What they ended up being was on their way to a loss when Josh Allen meets Josh Allen. Only one Josh Allen can win, barring a tie. Here's the Josh Allen who lost, Mike, after an embarrassing six-point output for the Buffalo offense on Sunday in Jacksonville. Credit to them. They came out. They wanted it more. You know, we had a lot of of little things add up to big things. Um, I put the ball in danger too, too often. Bit us in the butt. Played like. He said he said the word and it was bleeped during football <laughs> night in America and and now. So the folks at Sky don't have to worry about bleeping anything. Um, Mike, this is a point Chris Sims made yesterday, and I think he's right on the money. Too much is being put on Josh Allen. 
Josh Allen's trying to do too much, and he's starting to revert to the guy that we saw early in his career when he's taking too many chances. There's a little of that Carson Wentz, a little of that Matthew Stafford last night, just a little of that I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to change the game in our favor in one flash, in one moment, with one play, and that tends to set up a disaster, not result in some heroic moment. I was stunned in this one. This is a 9-6 game. This is a game when you look at the at the box score and the team stats, there were no touchdowns. And were to, and when you, if you're talking about Jacksonville, you could say, yeah, I could see it, but not with the Buffalo Bills. But someone tell me why in a 9-6 game you run the ball 14 times and you pass it 47. Why? To your point of putting too much on Josh Allen – why? Why is there that much of a disparity in a game where there hasn't been a touchdown, in a game where you don't get taken out of your game plan like it's 28 to nothing, and all of a sudden you have to throw the game plan out and start hoisting the 47 passes? That's like you're down three scores, three touchdowns, three or four touchdowns, and you're trying to get yourself back into the game. I, I, I don't understand that at all. Now, again, let's give, let's give Jacksonville credit. The defense played – one of the, their best games, and, and you heard them after, this is how we should be playing, and saying all the things they should be playing for a young, growing team with a brand-new quarterback. I get it. But, I mean, come on. We, we, we know what the Bills are, and we know what Jacksonville is right now. So that, to me, now three second-half turnovers don't help you at all. Again, 12 penalties. This is I, I, this, I'm with you on this, maybe from coaching staff to player to even though you're trying to sell yourself that, hey, any team on any given Sunday, that you go in there a little bit like, oh, yeah, it's Jacksonville. You know, we should be able to roll through this one. The next thing you know, you're getting hit in the nose and your eyes are watering and your nose bleeds and you go, what the hell is going on? And you're in a battle. But you still should be able to kind of catch yourself and get to do what you should do. So, again, I don't get it with the pass-run ratio there at all. But too many mistakes, too many turnovers, and this, and you end up after the game in the locker room going, what the hell just happened and how did it happen? Yeah, it's almost like the Bills' attitude was, what we want to do isn't working, let's go do it harder. And it, it just didn't work. At some point, you got to switch it up. And for the Jaguars, I can't figure this team out because after they beat the Dolphins in London, they had a bye week, they had two weeks to get ready for the trip to Seattle, the Seahawks were coming off of a short week game without Russell Wilson. I thought the Jaguars were going to win last week. It's 24-0 at the two-minute warning. What the hell happened to the Jaguars? And that makes what happened yesterday even more confounding, Mike, that they were able to fly back across the country. One of the best teams in football coming into their building. I didn't see any crowd shots yesterday. I have a feeling it was not standing room only in Jacksonville. And to do what they did, and I spoke to the other Josh Allen, the victorious Josh Allen after the game, and you know he's and I, and I know that you can get intoxicated by the the sweet fumes of victory, but man, he was talking like they can go on a run here, and I, I, you know, I they they remind me of the first time I brought home straight A's, and I was proud, <laughs> and then it's like, why haven't you done this before? And now you've got to do it all the time. It's like, oh. Crap. That's what the Jaguars <laughs> did yesterday. They brought home they finally brought home yeah. straight A's. What what the hell went on the rest of the season preceding yesterday, Mike? So so what what happens, Mike, with a team like this is you kind of know where you sit. If you get behind big in a game 
with a rookie quarterback and a young, you know, a young team, a young building team, you you sit on the sidelines and it's like the old air in the sails. You can see kind of the air go out of the sails saying, we're not going to, we, we don't have, we don't have the ability to come back. We can try, we're going to pass, we're going to try, but we don't feel we're good enough to come back. But if we're in a game like this, when you're in a game and some of the things are going right, your confidence builds, just like coming home with straight A's. You feel good for a while, you know, until you get that, that 58 on the first test after your straight A's and you come back to reality a little bit. So it's, it's called consistency with your play and with your preparation. And then from the mental side of it, this is where football is such a physical sport, but the mental side of it as well, of where you are as a team, how quickly the air goes out of the balloon if you're down 10, down 14 going, oh no, here we go again. We don't have the ability to come back yet. But when it's 6-6 six, six, or 10-7 to seven, or 14-10 to 10, and you're in it, you know, and you're getting some plays. They had four sacks yesterday when you're hitting the quarterback, when you're making some plays, that confidence builds and you're in the game, you know, that then everybody kind of builds together. You're standing on each other's shoulders for the rest of the game. So what you need is obviously to win. If this isn't rocket science, you need consistent good to great play. And Jacksonville does have good to occasional great play, but mostly it's below average. They just don't have that consistency yet, but that's why you take one of those yesterday and you try and build off of it as best you can. Yeah, I think that's right. The challenge is find the things that worked well, find the things that allowed you to get to where you were and try to replicate that and be flexible and learn from your mistakes and just keep pushing and pushing. They go to the Colts this weekend. They have the 49ers coming to town, then the Falcons. They've got They've got some some games that they can at least make interesting and they could be a spoiler down the stretch. And I think this season's about laying the foundation to try to become a contender next year. I just think at two and six, I I don't know how many losses is too many with 17 games. Six probably isn't, but they'd have to run the table and finish 11 and six. You know, maybe they could get away with 10 and seven, who knows, but, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to really stretch to get in the mix now, but Hey, Two and six quickly becomes three and six, four and six. You know, we've seen teams do that. There's always that team, Mike, and I'm not saying it's going to be the Jaguars, but we need to be conscious of this. There's always a team that's hovering around 500 at Thanksgiving that all of a sudden figures it out and they win and they win and they win and they win and they carry it into the postseason. That mindset that every game that we played down the stretch was like a playoff game makes them very dangerous in the playoffs. So it's time to start scanning the standings for that team that's going to be right around 500 that maybe gets red hot in December. Not that it's going to be the Jaguars. Yeah, that, yeah no, I, I don't think so either. But you're right, kind of that third quarter of the season where you're kind of positioning yourself to when you get into the last quarter of the season, are you in it? If you make a little bit more of a run, can you be in the mix or are you going to stay on the outside looking in? That's what that's a lot of what this month and going into early December is going to be. Four teams just like that, hovering at 500, one game above it or one game below it. And again, depending on your division, are you actually fighting for the division like we see in a couple of these where there's only one loss separating bottom to top? Or do you have to fight for a wild card spot? That has a lot to do with it as well. But, but I agree with you. And that's why this month is such an important month. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, it's time to hand out the week nine superlatives on this Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. 